I had the privilege of spending a summer in Cusco, Peru during college. And it was there that a lot of the imagery of the Bible came alive in a different way. As Margaret mentioned, uh, the context where the Bible was written was different than the one that we live in. Uh, but in the mountains of Cusco, Peru, there were some significant similarities. And I remember being on a trip driving through the mountains and seeing a group of people gathered on a mountaintop with a stack of grain and a donkey that they had staked to the ground that was walking through the grain. They were taking baskets, throwing it into the air. The wheat was falling and the chaff was blowing away in the wind. I thought, oh, that's what the wheat and the chaff looks like. <laughs> Another moment that stands out vividly in my mind was uh, living in Walker Pie, uh, a town, small town outside of Cusco. And I would go out to this one area away from town to, to read, to pray, uh, to spend some time by myself, uh, to think in English for a change. And it was there sitting on ruins of the Wari people, a pre-Incan civilization that lived in that area, that I was taken back in time. As a Quechua woman, older woman, came walking through with her staff in hand, guiding sheep through the ruins, through the mountains, dressed in her colorful Andean garb. Pretty oblivious to me, although I think I must have looked strange to her. And when I saw that, I thought of all the biblical imagery of the shepherd. I thought of, in a different way, the intimacy between the shepherd and the sheep. The way that a shepherd is present and lives life with the sheep. The way that a shepherd sh shows compassion for the sheep. And I thought of Psalm 23 that we heard this morning, uh, but it came back to me in the King James Version. It was the first passage that I learned, that I memorized as a child. And I don't know why I memorized it in the King James, because it wasn't what our family or our church used, but it was what I learned it in. And I want to read it because I think it's poetic. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My understanding of that passage was deepened as I watched that Quechua woman shepherd her sheep through the mountains. I understood in a different way what it meant for a shepherd to journey with sheep through danger to help them find nourishment of what it meant for a shepherd to protect them from the pitfalls because I saw them around me and I walked through them as I hiked the mountains, the rocky crags, the brambles, the briars, the cacti. That the shepherd would guide the sheep through places where the shepherd was attentive to, to predators and their presence, pumas and hawks that could eat the sheep and lambs. The long treks through the mountains just to find a source of fresh water. 
and the hours, the days spent sitting in the mountains, keeping watch over the sheep and assuring their safety. And as I sat with that of particular note to me were these two phrases, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And in these, I hear echoes of Isaiah 43 two. when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flames shall not consume you. When I first memorized Psalm 23, it didn't have quite the depth that it has gained for me as an adult. Now, as I have gone through different life experiences, I recognize that God's promise is not that I, that we will be saved from facing difficulty, but that God will be present with us through that difficulty, through the valley of the shadow of death, in the presence of our enemies, in the mighty waters, and among the fiery flames. There, God, our good and gentle shepherd, will be with us. As I've come to a deeper or a different understanding of God's presence, another thing that has appeared different to me is a poem that I used to think was rather cheesy and cliche, Footprints in the Sand, one that you probably are familiar with, that you may have seen hanging in your grandparents' house, depending on your age, your parents' house, or your own house. With time, I began to see that the presence that the poet describes, and the poet is disputed, the presence that the poet describes is just the type of presence that I hope for from God. I invite you to listen anew to this poem, Footprints, in light of Psalm 23 and Isaiah 43. One night I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at my lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you most, you would leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never ever, during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. I've learned that it is truly in the times of greatest difficulty, of challenge, of pain, where I need God's presence the most with me. And when I am beside quiet waters, 
When I am in beautiful green pastures, I tend to forget my need for God. And it is on the other side of walking through the dark valley, through the shadow of death, that I realized that God was truly present to me, often through others who came alongside me in those times. It was in those moments that I most needed God and God was most closely present to me. Now, I can't presume to speak for anyone else in the congregation, but at least for me, although I have faced pain and difficulty, I do not face these things systemically. I do not live in a society that marginalizes or oppresses me because of who I am, because of the color of my skin, because of my faith, because of my race, my gender, my language, my sexuality, my place of origin, my mental or physical abilities, my ethnicity, my citizenship status, the way I dress, or the things that I believe in. My experiences of being a foreigner or an outsider, like my experience in Peru, have been almost entirely by my own choosing and were an option because of my privilege. And I have never faced significant discrimination or prejudice in my home context, unlike many others who live among us. To use the terms of Howard Thurman, I am not disinherited. For those of you who may not be familiar with Howard Thurman, he is a theologian, was a theologian, a poet, mystic, a civil rights leader, and an activist. He was one of the significant behind-the-scenes influences on people like Martin Luther King Jr. and others of his time. He gave a lot of theological grounding to the work that was done in the civil rights movement of that era. And I became familiar with him and his work through a course taught by Frederick Streets, one of my professors in divinity school, where we did a long, deep reading of Jesus and the disinherited. And I know that numerous of you have done graduate school. And if your experience was anything like mine, long, deep reads don't happen. They're cursory, they're quick, they're superficial. But he took us through this thin book for almost an entire semester. And brought us to face the things that Thurman was saying. And I would commend this book to you. Read it slowly. Jesus and the Disinherited. Thurman describes the purpose of his book as to explore what the teachings of Jesus have to say to those who stand at a moment in human history with their backs against the wall, the poor, the disinherited, and the dispossessed. When I think of those with their backs up against the wall, I think of the Mark passage that we heard read this morning, and specifically the part where we hear, as he went to shore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Could it be that those who were gathered there were the poor, the oppressed, the disinherited, the dispossessed? Did those gather there to see Jesus who were the ones living with their backs up against the wall? As I read the Gospels, I see over and over again that these are the people who are drawn to Jesus. They are often the main characters in the stories of Jesus and his response to human beings like us. And it is a refrain, even if it's not written in all those stories, that Jesus looks on people and has compassion for them. 
Jesus' compassion and kindness and love, his inclusion for the disinherited, this stands out over and over again. Those who are on the outside of their society, of lower social castes, those were the people that Jesus responded to with love and gave attention to. In that context, they were women. They were sinners. They were those with tarnished reputations. They were the blue-collar workers of their society, the children, the unclean, who were sick in different ways and didn't meet the standards of worship in their community. And I have to wonder, who are those same people in my community, in our church, in our society, and in our world? Who is it that Jesus would have an especially significant amount of compassion on when he encountered them today? I think the incarnation is an unbelievable, almost unbelievable, and profound concept within the Christian faith. The idea that God would choose to become one of us, would come among us as a human being. Thurman, in his book, describes Jesus, who was a poor Jew, who was part of a working class family, who was a member of a minority group in the midst of a larger dominant and controlling group. And he notes that God selected a specific time, place, community, and context to become one of us. And it was in that very context. It mirrors the experience of the disinherited in all times and places. Jesus was a refugee. He was a member of an oppressed people. He lived under imperial rule with the people who were not free. What does it mean that God became human and became human in this particular way? Well, there's been all sorts of theological debates for centuries and centuries since the beginning of the church about what that means. But for me, one of the crucial things that this means is that what Jesus experienced, God experienced. So because Jesus has walked through the valley of the shadow of death, quite literally, God has walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Because Jesus has eaten in the presence of his enemies, think of Judas and the Last Supper, God knows what it is like to eat in the presence of one's enemies. Because Jesus experienced what it is like to be poor and disinherited, to be dispossessed, because Jesus lived life as one with his back up against the wall, God knows and God has experienced poverty and dispossession. God has been disinherited and known what it is like to live life with one's back up against the walls. What an outrageous idea this is, this incarnation thing, that God would experience all that Jesus, a human being, experienced and would understand what life is like for us. How outrageous, but how wonderful if we can accept that this is true. I believe that Jesus had compassion in this scene because God is a God of love and compassion. I think it was inherent to his very nature to respond with that compassion. But also I believe that in Jesus, God knows human suffering intimately and has compassion on the things that we face. As a result, we have a good shepherd who walks with us, guides us, and protect us, protects us 
a good shepherd who knows truly the difficulties that we face. A God who is with us in all things, who knows what it is like to live life with one's back up against the wall. Liberation theology talks about God's preferential option for the poor and teaches that this is a thread throughout God's activity through history, that God chooses over and over again to be present with those who are poor, those who are oppressed and marginalized. So for me, I think there are some significant takeaways, and I invite you to consider these as well. First and foremost, that when we walk the valley of the shadow of death, when we sit down and eat in the presence of our enemies, God is there with us. Perhaps in those times, those most difficult times, it is there that God carries us through and gets us to the other side. God's compassion abounds for all of those who walk the valley of the shadow of death. All of those who find themselves eating in the presence of their enemies, those who are poor, each person who is dispossessed and disinherited, each person who lives with his or her back up against the wall, God has compassion on each one of them, each one of us, because God has experienced life as one of us. And furthermore, God chooses to become incarnate over and over again through God's own people. We can be God's presence to those who live with their backs up against the wall. We can walk as God's presence with those who pass through the valley of the shadow of death. And truly, it is a privilege and a blessing to be in that role and to be part of God's work in the lives of others. And I think we face a challenge, a challenge named by Thurman, as we think about who we are as a church and what it means for us to be God's people in a community. Thurman writes, it cannot be denied that too often the weight of the Christian movement has been on the side of the strong and the powerful and against the weak and the oppressed. This, despite the gospel. I'm going to read that again. It cannot be denied that too often the weight of the Christian movement has been on the side of the strong and the powerful and against the weak and the oppressed. This, despite the gospel. Will I, will we today choose to live that gospel? Now, I know it's not Christmas but it is close-ish to Jesus' half-birthday, we'll call it. So I want to finish with a poem by Howard Thurman. It's a Christmas poem, but it speaks of the Good Shepherd, and I think it addresses this call very specifically to be part of living out the gospel in our world. Titled, When the Song of Angels is Stilled. When the song of angels is stilled, When the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, 
to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, to make music in the heart. Amen.